Welcome to the Center for the Performing Arts at Penn State. I'm Communications Director Laura Sullivan, and you're in tune with Previews. Angelique Kijo is famous around the world as a singer, songwriter, and humanitarian. Mixing sounds from Africa, Brazil, the Caribbean, and the United States, Kijo creates a sound without borders. Previews editor John Mark Raffis talks with Kijo about her Grammy award-winning album, Jin Jin, and her journey from the small West African country, Benin, to recognition as a world music superstar. Will you mostly be doing material from your Grammy award-winning album, Jin Jin, when you're here? Absolutely. And uh, your touring band, how many members do you have? We are six on stage, me plus five musicians, percussion, two guitar, bass, and drum. And do you have any background vocals, or is it just you? No, the guys. I put them to work. Oh, well, that's good. That's very good. Um, I know a that, lot of stress on them, though. Um, oh, they're probably fine. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So you've gotten a great deal of uh, praise for this CD, and I must say it's wonderful. It's impossible to listen to it and and stay still at the same time. I I try to do it at my desk, but it doesn't work very well. My feet are moving and my hips are moving. That's good. Um, Don't do it while you're driving, though. Well, I'll I'll try not to. I have trouble (laughs) enough driving. (laughs) You recorded the uh, CD in New York, and you had a lot of friends help you out on this one. People like Alicia Keys and Peter Gabriel, um, Josh Groban, who I understand you've actually toured with Josh Groban. Yes. It was Uh, wonderful. He has quite the voice. Oh, he can sing. That is an understatement even when I say that, because, gee, that guy, he can sing. He can sing and he has a big heart. And I love that. Those two things combined, ooh, you you rock the roof. Jin Jin is... um, sort of a, um, a record for the 21st century. It, um, it takes in a lot of influences and, and uh, puts them all together and gives you back a, a sound that's really very compelling. Tell me a little bit about the thinking that went behind the, the CD. Um, after I've done my trilogy, Tracing Back the Roots of Slavery Through Music, I decided to come back home because home have taken me to different places. Home have brought me to America, brought me to uh, Brazil, the Caribbean, Cuba, all over the world. And then it, it allowed me, home allowed me to explore everybody's music because home is in everybody's music. So from time to time I go back home. I'm like, okay, I've, I've seen what you have brought to the world and uh, let me get back, back to you and see what I can bring to the world from you. This particular um, album, though, really has a, as its basis your original home, which was um, the West Benin. African country of Benin, mm-hmm. and which is uh, a teeny little country. And you grew up on the coast, right? Yes, yes, I grew up on the um, the main uh, the harbor city, Cotonou. And I'm originally from Wida because my father is from from the Wida from Wida. And so you grew up, obviously, there in a very uh, multicultural environment. Um, oh, yes. the, the country certainly has, you know, its African um, origins, but also it was a French colony and then became independent in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, so you speak a lot of languages, don't you? Yeah, I do. 
English, French, and, and a couple of others. <laughs> German, Portuguese. And I've learned Greek and Latin, which I don't speak because nobody speaks it with me, so it's gone to the roof. You obviously have a uh, an aptitude for languages. Do you think that comes from be- growing up in a multilingual country, or do you think you yeah, just have Yeah, it a- comes from that, and it comes from also my love for music, because I wanted to understand every language that I was speaking in, and I make up my own sounds. I mean, I'll be, I mean, I started learning English with James Brown and all those people. I mean, uh, and then when I said that, you go, that's not the good English you learn with James Brown then. I say, I don't care. I mean, it sounds great. I can groove on it. That's all that matters to me at that time. It was good English or not good English doesn't matter. When you're a child, you just don't know. I mean, as you said before, Benin is a French-speaking language, a country. So I spoke French more than I speak English, but it doesn't change anything in the way that I listen to the music and try to make their mind and find connection with those music, with the African, I mean, traditional music I was growing up to. Because I, I, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing for me to, to see. I don't even realize that I was doing that when I was a child. Now that I've grown up, I'm, I'm trying to understand how the process started. And I can't tell you when and where it started. It was just, I listened to the music and I liked, liked it so much. And because I loved so much my tradition, the traditional music of my country, I always try to find the link between them. This rhythm, can you mix it with this? I have been doing this before I even have the sense of writing a song. Well, all of the great um, forms of American popular music are, are really have their origins in Africa, Africa. Um, and certainly in the, in the Caribbean as well from Africa. And so it sounds as though what you've done is really sort of the migration works both ways. You grew up in West Africa listening to a lot of American music, which was based on a lot of African music. Yes, um, so and I did, this, I did the other way around. Right. I migrate, and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see people. I'm going to listen to those songs where it comes from and see how it works. But, and the thing is, when you're growing up and you're making, I mean, you have your father, your mother, you're completely protected, you don't have any, I mean, when you're kid, you don't think about paying any bills, and you just want to have fun. And I was having fun because I was born in a, in a large family. My, my dad played the banjo. My mom was a theater director, and I was, for me, I took all those for granted. I'm like, everybody live like that. Mm-hmm. This is the, no- the norm. I mean, this is what the show should be. And, and as, as soon as I, I, I left my country, I realized that no, 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 no. Your mom and dad were special. Mm-hmm. Because both of them were educated. They make sure and they fought for us to be educated and to stay in school with one person making a paycheck every month, my dad. With one salary, my dad has put 10 kids to school. Did you leave for Paris yourself when you were a young adult? I left for Paris. I was 20-something. I was over 20. I already finished high school and everything. I was already in the university path, and um, I had to leave because of political reason, because I didn't want the, the communist regime to force me to do music and pre- their revolution. I didn't want to do that, because I never did. I never have any acquaintances with... Um, politician when it comes to my music. Right, and you had already started singing professionally before you left, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I was making money. I mean, when I was 12, I went to my dad and said to my dad, Dad, I don't want to go to school anymore. I'm making money. <laughs> and my dad said, yeah, yeah, I told you before you started. I told you you don't go to school. There's no singing. There's no negotiation possible in that. You don't go to school. There's no music. And I'm a dad. I'm making money. 
your father sounded like a wise fellow. <laughs> All right, my dad, yeah, are you, are you making money, okay? With what you making, can you rent a house, make a living, live by yourself? And I'm, I'm 12, and my dad said, that's what I'm telling you, I make the rule in this house. You go to school, and you say, both you have to do. And you don't do it and give me good grade, you're going to lose the music. You love singing? I say, yes. And then she go, he goes, now you know what you got to do. What influence did uh, Living in Paris have on your music? It, I mean, the, the, the biggest influence Paris has on my music is um, classical music. Because we didn't have that much access to classical music in Benin. We, we listened to some classical music here and there, but not as the way I, I was exposed to in France. And uh, it, it opens my mind to uh, different, I mean, different way of doing music. And that's why you have the Ravel Bolero, and uh, you're going to have more of those because every time I listen to classical piece that really touches me, I can hear the words. So if the words are there, they're going to come out of me, for sure. Your a cappella version of Bolero that closes Jin Jin is, is really striking and haunting. Were those lyrics written originally, or did you write them? Or I write them. Okay, that's what I, that's what I thought. It was originally just an instrumental piece. Yeah, it was an instrumental piece. And uh, the first time I heard that, I was still student in Paris, and I go, wow, this is an Afri- African music. And all the students in the school look at me and go, you stupid. Everything is African for you. This is classical music. You, you, I mean, you know, they were really racist with me. You savage people, what do you know about music? This is, this is music that you can never play. I'm like, all right, whatever you say. But I'm telling you, this is African. You can be nasty. You can tell me whatever you want. You won't, let, you won't take that away from me. That's the thing. And uh, it's true. I mean, Ravel is the first one. It's the only one, but I would say, as, uh, as far as I can recall, and I know for now, that used African mode in the Ravel Bolero. Most of the CD is music that you and your husband, Jean, who is your mm-hmm. uh, songwriter partner, wrote. A mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. couple of covers, including an incredibly good um, cover of the Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter with Joss Stone. Yeah. Um, that, is a, that is a great piece. Oh, man, that was the last song we recorded because we, um, we, my husband just came back from um, watching the movie The Departed. And I was uh, listening to the Rolling Stone, and I was in between. I'm like, this song, I like this song. And he, he came and said, give me shelter. I said, shit, that's what I'm listening right now. <laughs> so we already finished everything, and we went to the studio. We said, guys, listen to this. Let's do it. And then we start jamming. Boom, the song was done in a half day. It, it was meant to be because it, it, uh, that, it that's came absolutely, out great. That's what I said. The right cover when you choose it, if you have no trouble doing it, it means it's the right one. If you have to struggle, just let it go. You also have a beautiful cover of uh, Chardet's Pearls with Josh uh. Groban and Carlos Santana playing guitar. And, and there there aren't that many artists where when you hear just a few riffs, you know exactly who it is. But Carlos Santana is certainly one of them. Um, that, that trademark guitar um, just... For me, Carlos is not a guitar player. He's a singer. He sings with his guitar. That's why it's so... It is what it is. When you listen to it, you can... You're hooked because, hey... It's like a voice. You know it's him. Nobody else. Unlike a lot of um, popular music, your lyrics deal with a lot of issues that are a little more serious. You deal with poverty and, and AIDS and, and a lot of issues that affect the people of Africa and, and people around the world. But you manage to do that in songs that um, come off as very upbeat and positive. That's an unusual gift to be able to do that. 
it's something that I learned from the traditional musician in my country because the comment you just made is the comment I made to them once. I'm like, hold on. I understand what you're talking about. It's not fun. Or why are we all dancing on it? Why do you dance on those kind of rhythm? Why do you make it so up, upbeat? And the answer was for me, it's not up to you as an artist to make people feel guilty. Guilt is something that doesn't create movement, doesn't create um, um, growing. You have to bring the message to the people and let them make the, their decision without you forcing them to make the decision. Let the body dance and the soul will follow. One of the things that people most admire about you is the work you do on behalf of various organizations around the world. Um, I know that you've um, volunteered a lot for Oxfam, the relief agency, and also you're a UN Goodwill ambassador, but you've also started your own nonprofit organization. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Um, that organization, I put it uh, together for two reasons. When I had been appointed Goodwill Ambassador of UNICEF in 2002, I, they asked me, you wanna, what do you want to do? I mean, there are many focuses that we have here. I mean, child soldier, refugees, girls' education, and I say girls' education. And I campaigned for five years nonstop till last year. Actually, I did a lot of public service announcements for TV, radio, that is all over Africa. And I want, and I'm hoping, and I'm dreaming that among those girls, we're going to have the next Nobel Peace Prize, the next female president of any country in Africa. We've got to invest in girls because the girls become mother, and the mother are the ones that raise boys and girls equally. Those girls, I hope they will raise their little, little boys, telling them your sister deserves to go to school and you have to respect your sister. And it's not... Women are not just usable for you guys. Right. With education, with educating girls, we realize that we're going to diminish drastically the number of child death and child mortality, the, the pandemic of HIV and AIDS, malaria, economic growth. Everything is linked to girls' education. Tickets are on sale now for Angelique Kijo's Penn State debut. October 30th at Eisenhower Auditorium. Order online at www.cpa.psu.edu or by phone at 1-800-ARTS-TIX. For the Center for the Performing Arts, I'm Laura Sullivan.